I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and open it to the book of Ezekiel, the Old Testament, book of Ezekiel, chapter 33. This morning we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11. The message is entitled, A Watchman's Warning. I want to read through this text so you'll see the flow of it. It will help you to to understand it, I think, as we go through it. So if you open your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 33, I begin to read in verse 1. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, speak to the sons of your people, and say to them, If I bring a sword upon a land, and the people of the land take one man from among them, and make him their watchman, and he sees the sword coming upon the land, and blows on the trumpet, and warns the people, then he who hears the sound of the trumpet, and does not take warning, and a sword comes and takes him away, his blood will be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, but he did not take warning. His blood will be on himself. But had he taken warning, he would have delivered his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming, it does not blow the trumpet, and the people are not warned, and a sword comes and takes a person from them. He is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require from the watchman's hand. Now as for you, son of man, I have appointed you a watchman for the house of Israel. So you will hear a message from my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you will surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require from your hand. But if you on your part warn a wicked man to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he will die in his iniquity. But you have delivered your life. Now as for you, son of man, say to the house of Israel, thus you have spoken, saying, surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us, and we are rotting away in them. How then can we survive? Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. Why then will you die, O house of Israel? May God bless the reading of his word. Paul Revere is known as one of the most famous figures in U.S. history. He is the one who took that midnight ride to Lexington in order to warn Samuel Adams and John Hancock that British troops were coming to arrest them. As Revere made his famous ride, he shouted the warning throughout the countryside. Nearing the location of Adams and Hancock, someone asked Revere to stop making so much noise. Revere responded, noise? You'll have 
enough noise before long, the regulars are coming out. Paul Revere had the responsibility to sound a warning about the invading British troops. His message was too important for him to neglect. In Ezekiel chapter 33, verses 1 through 11, God gave Ezekiel a commission to warn the people about their sins. The book of Ezekiel is a very interesting prophetic book. As a matter of fact, you can divide it into three major divisions. Chapter 1 through 24 provides us information regarding Israel and her sin against God and how that God was going to judge her because of that sin. In chapters 25 through 32, we see that God is pronouncing judgment on the nations around Israel because they too had sinned. And then chapters 33 through 48 provides for us encouragement because it speaks about Israel's blessings that come from spiritual renewal. And that's where we begin this morning. In Ezekiel chapter 33, look with me if you would, verses 1 through 11. Here we'll begin to break these verses down for you as we look at what God has to say to his servant Ezekiel. The one that he is sending to warn the people about their sins. This message was not popular, but it was true. It was a message that had to be declared to the people. God wanted the people to hear the warning. God likened the prophet Ezekiel to a watchman standing on the city wall, scanning the horizon to see if there was an approaching army. An army that was intent on invading the city by breaching the walls, coming in and taking away slaves, coming in and taking away their possessions and killing the rest of the people. So a warning would be necessary to save the people from destruction. With Ezekiel hearing this message of the Lord, he is reminded of God's call on his life. To bear witness to the truth. To warn the people that destruction was coming because of their sinfulness. God has stationed us as Ezekiel atop the wall to sound an alarm to the people. Looking at this passage this morning will help us to better understand our role as watchmen. So I want to identify three things about the watchman that will help us warn others before it is too late. So if you'll follow along now in your word, as we look together, we'll see, first of all, the description of a warning. The description of this warning, it comes by the way of a watchman. The description of a watchman. Let's look and see at uh, verses 1 and 2, the selection of a watchman. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying... Let's stop there for just a moment. See where it says, the word of the Lord. This is a reminder that this message is not from Ezekiel himself. Its origin is God. God is the one who has commissioned Ezekiel to go with the message, to proclaim the truth. So God is the one that's speaking. He says... The message of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, speak to the sons of 
your people and say to them, If I bring a sword upon the land, and the people of the land take one man from among them and make him their watchman. Here the picture is being established by God to Ezekiel that there is a city, a city that is filled with people. And these people find from among them one man who will be able to stand on that city wall and scan the horizon looking for any potential threat that might approach the city so that a a warning could be sounded to alert the people. This was very important to select such a person. So as, as God is beginning to paint this picture of this city in need of a watchman, it is clear to Ezekiel that he is the one selected by God to serve as the watchman. Notice the sound of a watchman is mentioned in verses 3 through 5. And he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows on the trumpet and warns the people. That is, once the the watchman is on top of the wall, he sees an approaching army coming, perhaps in the midst of the night, sneaking up, trying to be as quiet as possible so that they can hopefully catch the city by surprise. And the watchman sees the coming enemy and he sounds the alarm. He sounds the warning. Verse 4 says, Then he who hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning... And a sword comes and takes him away, his blood will be on his own head. That is, if if this watchman is standing on the wall and he blows the trumpet to awaken the people, to alert them of the approaching army, and there are some who are among the people who hit the snooze button. They say, well, someone else will take care of it. They don't need my services to defend the city. I'll just stay here in my warm bed and go back to sleep. And there's not sufficient opposition to oppose the the approaching army. And they breach the city walls and they drag that man out of bed and take him away as a slave. It is his own fault because he heard the trumpet sound, but he did not respond in the right way. Then notice with me, if you would, in verse 5, he heard the sound of the trumpet, but he did not take warning. His blood will be on himself. But had he taken warning, he would have delivered his life. That is, it's his own responsibility if he hears the warning, but does not respond. It's not the fault of the watchman. That's the sound of a watchman. Then notice the silence of a watchman. Verse 6. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, and the people are not warned, and a sword comes and takes a person from them, he is taken away in his iniquity. Here he says, if the watchman does not do his duty, If he remains silent, if he does not blow his trumpet, and the enemy breach the walls, they come in and drag these people away, then it will be the fault of the watchman. He will be the one who will be held accountable for his own negligence. 
not the people in the city who were not warned. And of course, when he mentions here, taken away in his iniquity, the picture is becoming clearer and clearer that God is using this, this story to remind Ezekiel that he has the responsibility to warn the people about their sins and the fact that God is going to judge the sins. And if he fails to do so and they die in their iniquity, then Ezekiel will be, will be held responsible for not doing what God had sent him to do. Have you ever had a watchdog that uh, remains silent? What good is that? A watchdog is supposed to alert you should someone come to invade your property or to take something from you. But if the watchdog remains silent, he's not much of a watchdog. What good is he? And the same is true when it comes to a watchman on the wall. If he remains silent, he has neglected his responsibility. And that leads to the shame of the watchman. Look in verse 6, the second part of that verse. But his blood I will require from the watchman's hand. That is, God will hold him accountable for failing to do what he's been commissioned to do. And that is to alert the people of danger. That's his role. That's his responsibility. And to fail to assume that responsibility will lead to judgment on the part of the watchman. So here is the description of a watchman. The selection of a watchman, the sound of a watchman, the silence of a watchman, and then the shame of a watchman. Now, I want to give you an assignment. Uh, When you go home, I want you to find a mirror somewhere, preferably one that you can see your whole self. Stand in front of that mirror, and I want you to look at that image before you that's staring back in your direction. And I want you to ask yourself the question, what kind of watchman do I see? What kind of watchman am I? Do I see a watchman who is silent or a watchman that is sounding the alarm? Only you can make that determination, you you and the Lord. One thing is true, God has called us to bear witness to the truth. He's called us to warn the people. And this is a responsibility that we cannot neglect, the description of a watchman. Secondly, notice the duty of a watchman. Here, uh, God begins to take the story that he has told and specifically apply it to Ezekiel in terms that he could not miss. Notice as he does this, we see a watchman's assignment in verse 7. Now, as for you, son of man, I have appointed you a watchman for the house of Israel. That's as blatant as it can be. That cannot be missed. Ezekiel hears the word of the Lord, and God tells him, you are that watchman, and I'm sending you to warn the house of Israel. Why? Because they are in sin. 
they violated their covenant relationship with God. They have indulged themselves in idolatry, which has led to immorality and injustice in the land. God wanted Ezekiel the prophet to warn his people that judgment was coming because of their sin. It was the responsibility of Ezekiel to carry out this assignment. Let me remind you that you and I have an assignment as well. Clearly we have been told in Matthew chapter 28 to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. The greatest need for the church today is for the gospel to be proclaimed. But there are churches by the thousands all across our land, all across America. And the people come Sunday after Sunday and they never hear the word of God preached. They do not understand the gospel. The word of God is not taught in these churches. It may be read A passage here or there taken out of context and applied in a way that the Lord never intended. But usually it is used as a diving board for the preacher to venture off into some direction that pleases him. God has called us as pastors and teachers. And yes, all of us who name the name of Christ... To declare a clear message of warning to the world in which we live. That message for the most part is not being heralded in our day. But here we see a watchman has an assignment. Then also notice a watchman's announcement. Verse 7, the second part of this verse, he says, So you will hear a message from my mouth and give them warning for me or from me. So... Ezekiel was a watchman that was to declare a message not of his own, but a message from God Almighty. And that's what we need in our churches today. We need the Word of God proclaimed. There is a drought of God's Word across the land. Uh, And I think many Christians have been intimidated into silence for fear that we might offend someone or that we're politically incorrect or, or someone uh, may come down hard on us on social media or we might even get the attention of the authorities. But friend, now is not the time to be silent. Now is the time to speak up. We see this duty of a watchman not only in his assignment and his announcement, but also notice uh, a watchman's accountability, verses 8 and 9. When I say to the wicked... O wicked man, you will surely die, and you do not speak the warning to the wicked to turn from his ways. The wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require from your hand. But if you on your part warn a wicked man to turn from his way, And he does not turn from his way. He will die in his iniquity. 
but you have delivered your life. Here, God is reminding Ezekiel that God himself will hold him responsible for the message. That if he's not faithful to carry out the message, then the blood of these people will be on his hands. He will be accountable. If he's faithful to proclaim the message, then his hands will be clean. His responsibility will be fulfilled. He will not be accountable for being silent. My friend, this is a very important statement. It's a reminder to us that uh, we have a responsibility to declare the message of the Lord. Now, think with me for just a moment. I want you to look at your hands. Just look at your hands for just a moment. Isn't it amazing how God has given us hands? We can do a lot with our hands. Most of our work involves some type of function of our hands. Our hands are very important. But can you imagine looking at your hands and seeing your hands covered in blood? Not your own blood, mind you, but the blood of your neighbor. The blood of your classmate, the blood of your family member, the blood of your work associate, the blood of your teammate, the blood of a stranger dripping from your hands. The Bible says that when we fail to do what he's asked us to do in proclaiming the truth, then we bear the blame for people. In that they will perish because of their sins. And God will hold us responsible in that we fail to tell them. We fail to warn them. Just like the watchman on the wall remaining silent when he sees the approaching enemy. We will be responsible for failing to tell these people. Perhaps you have worked at a business where you had to clock in and out. In those situations, you have a certain number of hours to work. And when you clock out, you can forget it and go home. But that's not the way it is with those of us who are watchmen. We're not watching the clock. We have a responsibility 24 hours a day, seven days a week to warn those who are perishing. And this is what God has called us to do. It is our duty. We've seen the description of the watchman, the duty of the watchman. Now let's look at the declaration of the watchman. The watchman declares the message. We see this in verses 10 and 11. First of all, there is a message about sin. Look with me in your Bibles in verse 10. Now, as for you, son of man, say to the house of Israel, thus you have spoken, saying, surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us. He says, I want you to declare to these people a message about their sins. And there are three things he points out here regarding their sins. First of all, the weight of sins. Again, in verse 10, he speaks about how their sins are upon them. 
It is that they are laden down with their sins. They're burdened down with their sins. Their sins have become heavy upon them. And that's how sin is, isn't it? Sin is heavily weighing upon us. When we sin against God, it is, it is a heavy load to bear. I know that some people say, well, you know, sin... Uh, I, I, I feel this temptation, and uh, when I'm resisting the temptation, it's difficult. But when I yield to the temptation, then it's not as difficult. I feel this sense of relief. The pressure is no longer there. And that is true to an extent. But here's what happens when we sin. When we as believers sin, we yield to the temptation that the devil is putting before us. An allurement to the flesh, an influence from the world, or Satan himself, or one of his demons, trying to drag us away from obedience to the Lord. And whenever we sin, obviously he's been battling with us about some sin, and when we yield to him, then the battle is over. We've lost the battle. And we may feel a sense of release from pressure. That that temptation is over. But hear me, my dear friend. He's not finished with you yet. The temptation may subside briefly, but here's what happens. You've given territory over to the devil. You've given up ground. He is establishing a stronghold in your life. And you simply have joined league with him so you may not feel the fierceness of the battle the way you did when you were resisting the temptation but it's not because you've won the battle that you no longer feel the intensity of the pressure it's because you've yielded ground to the devil and he has taken more control of your life he's not finished with you yet his ultimate Goal is to destroy you. Cooperating with him is not the the answer to the problem. It's yielding to the Lord, resisting the devil. The Bible says in the book of James that we, in order to overcome this temptation, we must first of all submit ourselves therefore unto the Lord. Then we resist the devil and he will flee from us. So there must be a a confession of sin and a yieldedness daily to the Lord as believers in order to walk in this victory. This sin is a weighty problem. It, It weighs us down. That's why Jesus said, come to me all you who are heavy laden, burdened down with sin, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me. My yoke is light. Take, take your yoke of mine and put it upon you, and I will take your yoke, is what he said. And, and what he meant is, I will bear the weight of it for you. And that's what Jesus did at the cross, is it not? He bore the weight of sin. See, here we see the weight of sin. This message about sin also speaks about the waste of sin. Look in verse 10 again. Uh, look in your Bibles, and he says in the middle part of the verse, and we are rotting away in them, speaking about sin. And that speaks to the destructive nature of sin. It, it rots us from the inside out. 
Can you think of a more fitting description of what's going on in our culture than this? Our culture is rotten to the core. What we are witnessing, dear people, hear me this morning. What we're witnessing in our country is the death of a nation. We're watching our country deteriorate. We're we're seeing its destruction before our very eyes. Some of you younger people may not see it because it's been a way of life for you. This is all you know. But some of us who are older, we see what has happened. We see what is happening. And it's not good. We have embraced wickedness in this country. It has been normalized. What used to be known as righteous and holy now is deemed as evil, wicked, and vile. What used to be wicked, vile, sinful behavior now is condoned and applauded as being just and holy. Everything has been turned upside down. And don't think it will not affect our our country. It is affecting our country. As a matter of fact, it is my opinion that we presently are experiencing the remedial judgment of God on America. Now, I'm not talking about the end time judgment. I'm not talking about judgment that will be poured out on the earth during the tribulation period as is recorded in the book of Revelation. I'm not talking about the great white throne judgment where those who have rejected Christ will stand one day. I'm not speaking about the judgment seat of Christ where we as believers will have our works examined to see what reward we will receive. I'm talking about the present reality of God's judgment against sin. There's no nation on this earth that I'm aware of that's been blessed any more than the United States. But we have turned from God. And we are rotten to the core. Look at every facet of our lives. Look at every avenue in our culture. It is completely polluted. This is where we stand My question is, where is the church? Where are our preachers? I'm thankful that we have preachers who do proclaim the truth. But let me tell you, percentage-wise, they're small in number. What would happen across our land if all the preachers would stand and preach the Word of God? Perhaps it would bring about... A spiritual awakening in our country. But that's not happening. There's silence. We've capitulated to the culture. And my dear friend, I'm telling you, this I have been preaching that this day would come for, for 30 years. Because as I read the scriptures and I could see where we were heading as a country... I knew what the end result of of that would be. I didn't know it would happen in my lifetime, but it's happening.
we're rotten to the core spiritually. We're experiencing, I believe, my opinion is, we're experiencing the remedial judgment of God on this nation. If you wonder what that's like, you can turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 1 and read it for yourself. Where over and over and over again the Bible says, and God gave them over. In other words, they were so sinful and rebellious against God that God said, if you want to live like that, you go your own way. And you will experience the consequence of that sin. We are experiencing the consequence of rejecting God and His Word and living in sin. You say, well, I'm afraid of what's happening in the political world. And you should be. You may say, well, I'm afraid as a nation that we, uh, we are trampling on the Constitution. And, and you should be afraid of that. You say, well, I'm afraid that... that uh, We're losing our rights in this country. And yes, you are. And you should be afraid of that. But let me tell you what you and I should fear the most. We should fear that we have violated the word of almighty, holy God. He's the one to be feared. But we don't fear him. We've come to the place in our country where we no longer fear God. God is not even feared among his people. We are rotten to the core. Then notice verse 10 also speaks about the wonder about sin. This is a tremendous question here in the last section, last portion of verse 10. How then can we survive? You ask, is there any hope? Is it too late? Now, I will say this. There comes a point in a nation and in the life of an individual where you have sinned beyond the possibility of return. Doesn't mean that God can't forgive. But a nation can go so far over the waterfall that it cannot come back. When it goes so far it, it goes beyond the ability to come back and judgment is going to come. You can't stop it. That happened to the Babylonians in their uh, fight against Israel. God warned Israel through Jeremiah the prophet that the Babylonians were coming. They needed to repent of their sin and get right. They would not do it. They would not. They resisted over and over and over. And finally it came to the point where Jeremiah said, it's too late now. Here's what you do. When they come in, you just surrender to them because it's too late. You, you, you cannot stop it now. And this should cause us to fear the Lord. You say, well, pastor, why don't you bring me a a good message today? That's what they asked in Jeremiah's time. They didn't like Jeremiah because he had a negative word. I want you to know, and I say this with all sincerity, and I say this with humility, but my message is not to make you feel better. 
I'm not a comedian, although I like to see people laugh. I like to laugh myself. I'm not here to make you feel happy. Happiness has to do with your circumstances in life. They may or may not be good. I'm here to tell you the truth. I'm here to preach the word of God to you. And always remember the word of God always applies to the pastor first. And the word of God is going to be proclaimed from this pulpit. It is not a popular message these days. I'm not looking to be popular. I am looking to be faithful to my Lord. And I want to proclaim the word of God to you with all sincerity. And here the question remains, how can we survive? Well, the answer is in verse 11. We've been looking now at a message about sin. This is the declaration now of the watchman. But let's look for the next few minutes at a message about salvation. Verse 11, we see the reason for salvation as we read. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. This is a note of encouragement, is it not? In other words, God is not sitting up in heaven thinking, I can't wait till they sin and I'm going to stop them. I'm going to get them. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. That's the reason for salvation, because God doesn't take pleasure in the wicked. He's provided a way of redemption. Then notice also the repentance unto salvation that he speaks about. Verse 11, as we continue to read, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from his way and live. Friends, that is repentance. Turning from the direction you're going in rebellion against God, turning around through the power of the Holy Spirit, beginning to walk in obedience to the Lord. We're talking about people who are Christians who realize that they have sinned against God and they stop doing it and they come clean before God and say, God, I have sinned against you. I violated your word. And you've confronted me in my sin. Now I humbly repent. I turn from the sin I've committed and I want to walk obediently with you, Lord. This is the answer to the problem. This is the solution. This addresses the question, how can we survive? Repentance is how we survive. Then we see the redemption that comes through salvation. Let's continue to read in verse 11. He says, turn back. Turn back from your evil ways. When then, why then will you die, O house of Israel. That is, if you will turn from your evil ways, you can be spared. I think about Jonah the prophet. God sent him to preach to the Ninevites. This was a huge city. 
It too had a massive city wall. I think somewhere around 100 to 120,000 people lived in that city in the vicinity. These were wicked people. That's why Jonah didn't want to go preach to them. Because they were the arch enemies of his nation. Just to give you an idea about how vile and wicked these people were, not to mention the immorality, but the brutality that they practiced. They would take people and skin them alive, take their skins and place them over the city walls. They would cut people's heads off, put them on a pole and stick them around, and they would pile their skulls up at the entrance to their city to warn people as they entered They would cut people's ears off, their lips off, their tongues out. I'm telling you, these were wicked people. So when God told Jonah, go and preach to these people, he didn't want to go. He went in the opposite direction. And remember the story how God had to do so many drastic things just to take this prophet and preach to these Ninevites. Why? Because God loved them. God doesn't take pleasure in seeing the wicked perish. He reluctantly goes. He preaches the truth. Walking through the city. Repentance comes. From the greatest to the least. From the richest to the poorest. They don sackcloth and they pour ashes on their heads. They are so convicted and disturbed by this message, they even dress their animals up for repentance. Showing repentance and grief over their sin. And you know what happened? God spared Nineveh. God spared them. Jonah, he went off a distance and he, he got up under a gourd tree and he looked and hoped that God would destroy them. But he didn't. A hundred years after that, they had begun to turn back to their sinful ways. And as time went on and that generation died off, They began to practice their brutality again and their immorality and idolatry. And God destroyed Nineveh completely. What does this tell us today? This tells us that the preaching of the gospel is the only hope we have to survive. In responding to that gospel with confession and repentance... Apart from that, there is no solution. And you and I have the great responsibility to be the watchman on the wall to spread the truth. I love the words to the hymn, we've a story to tell. It goes like this, we've a story to tell to the nations that shall turn their hearts, from the, uh, turn their hearts to the right. A story of truth and mercy, a story of peace and light, a story of peace and light. For the darkness shall turn to dawning, and the dawning to noonday bright. 
And Christ's great kingdom shall come on earth, the kingdom of love and light. No matter how people respond to our warning, God is sending us to tell others to turn to him. Harry Truman, not the president, but Harry Truman that lived in Washington State, lived in the lodge he owned with his 16 cats. That is a story in and of itself. But he lived there near Mount St. Helen. When the mountain became active, as it was a dormant volcano at one time, but when it became active, the experts warned the people to leave the area. People begged Harry to leave, but he would not. He did not listen to their warning. On May 18, 1980, at 8.32 in the morning, Mount St. Helens erupted with a blast traveling over 300 miles per hour. The experts said that Harry probably had time to turn his head when he heard the noise before he died. Despite all the warnings, Harry lost his life. A watchman's warning needs to be sounded within our churches and throughout our land. Some will heed the warning, many will not. But we have the responsibility as watchmen to tell the truth. Speak the truth in love. But the truth needs to be heard. But folks, I don't want there to be blood on my hands. I want my hands to be clean before God. If you're here today as a Christian and you've allowed sin to to come into your life, maybe it's been a, a, a gradual process, but slowly but surely you have weakened your resolve. And rather than obeying and following the Lord, you have compromised in areas of your life. And here's what happened. Satan has gained control in some areas. You need to confess it. You need to repent of it. And find a renewal, spiritual renewal in your life. If you're here and you don't know the Lord Jesus, would you come and say, Dear Father, I am a sinner in need of the Savior Jesus. I turn my life over to you completely. Please wash me and cleanse me with your blood. Renew me. Receive me as your child. If you'll pray a prayer of sincerity from your heart, I'm telling you, God will save you. He'll save you. Because God does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked. He wants you to be saved. Let's stand together as the Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart. You come. If you want to join this church, you come. If you want to be saved, I'll be here to talk with you if you need some direction. If you want to be baptized, now that you are a Christian, you come. If you're watching this online, you can contact us at the office. We'll be glad to hear you, talk to you. If you're in the FMC watching this service, you come down front. Someone will be there to receive you. As we sing this invitation song, you come.